Need to create a complex enterprise Angular application? Angular Bootcamp is an intensive three-day workshop class to learn the basics of Angular through sophisticated techniques for real-world applications. We target Angular 6 and the recent versions with much of the curriculum is suitable back to Angular 2. Or go beyond the three-day class with a consultation or project launch with Oasis Digital, the team behind Angular Bootcamp. We can assist your team or launch your project with advanced Angular topics including scalability, data flow, state management, full stack product design, and more. Contact us for a private class at your location or buy a ticket for public classes in various cities around the U.S. and occasionally in Europe. Online live instructor training is also available at angularbootcamp.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in Angular. And today on our panel, we have Joe Ims. Hey, everybody. Hmm. Alyssa Nyko. Hey, hey. Ward Bell. Hello, hello, if you can hear me. And I'm Shai Resnick. Uh, I'm hosting uh, this episode uh, for Chuck, I feel in for Chuck, uh, but he will be with us next, uh, next week. And today we have three special guests. We have Tracy Lee. Hello, everyone. And Jay Phelps. Hello, hello. And Ben Lash. Hello. <laughs> okay, so three people who probably don't need any introduction, but let's do a short one for people who just join our community just uh, in a short sentence about each of you, and then we'll start, kick off the, the episode. Okay, so my name is Tracy. You can follow me on Twitter at Lady Late. I'm a co-founder of a company called uh, This.Labs, and uh, we do a lot of stuff for the JavaScript community, um, as well as JavaScript consulting, also on the RxJS core team, and a Google developer expert for the web and Angular. Super happy to be here, as always. Nice. Um, so this is Jay Phelps, and I am also a co-founder of this dot. Uh, so I uh, used to be on the ArxJS core team. Uh, these days I'm not, but I used to be. And I used to be an engineer at Netflix. Nice. Okay, we'll talk about why they kicked you out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, now, and now Ben Lesh. Uh, well, I'm Ben Lesh, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ben Lesh. Uh, I'm an engineer at Google, and I'm the ArxJS project lead. And I work on the Angular team. And I'm wearing a React shirt, if that helps. Boo! We cannot, we can, it's radio, Ben. We cannot see it. But um, That's why I told you. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll take your word for it. Um, and uh, Okay, cool. So thank you very much. By the way, should I say that I'm Shai Resnick from devchat.tv or highres.io? I'm not sure because I'm feeling in for chat. But anyway, let's start, let's start the episode. So today we're talking about RxJS, and uh, we had a lot of changes, uh, things going on in the past year about it. And we'd love to hear, first of all, maybe uh, one of you can tell us, like, again, a summary of what happened in the last year in RxJS uh, realm. Well, there's lots of things that have happened. Um, I think we can all kind of just touch on some things. Uh, one thing I guess I can start with is the fact that uh, there was previously something called uh, Test Scheduler, and it was not really documented well because it was it uh, was actually written and intended for internal use by ArcGIS itself rather than public use. 
but it was a pretty useful thing. And the general gist of it is to be able to virtualize time itself. So if you've written a lot of async code, especially code that has like timers and stuff like that, um, one of the pains of testing it is there's a lot of different ways to test it, but the ways a lot of people usually test it, um, they actually let time progress naturally. Like they you know, re- use real timers or whatever, and they just use async functions or whatever they do. And the problem, one of the problems with that is then your tests have to run that long. So like it, it's like, let's say you had a timer that waits for 60 seconds. Now your test runs at least 60 seconds long. And that's obviously no bueno because that can add up really quickly and make your test run significantly longer than it needs to. Uh, the other thing is the other problem with it is just the you know the determinism the ability to when you when you use real timers real JavaScript timers aren't accurate right they're nowhere near accurate so you're not really testing that the time actually progressed as it should you most of the time get are just testing that time progressed some arbitrary amount of time um, and maybe that time is is correct relative to another time or whatever but it's it's not really testing that fully. And so the test scheduler allows you to virtualize time within RxJS world only, though. Um, and it allows you to use these things called marbled ASCII marble diagrams. So they're just text. And you dis- you write like a description of how the observables should flow, like the values flowing out of an observable. So um, it's kind of hard to describe what you know. It's really helpful to see it visually. But anyway, this thing we created for version five, uh, you know, it was used internally. And then uh, in version six, we kind of wanted to open it up and make it more usable for the public. And so we created a public API, some public documents or documentation around it. Um, it's the testscheduler.run method if you're trying to Google it. And uh, a couple of additions based on feedback from, from the community is the ability to arbitrarily describe how much time you want to progress. So if you want like 200 milliseconds to progress, you can say 200 ms and it will progress 200 milliseconds. Whereas before you use these dashes and you'd have to they represent before they used to represent 10 milliseconds. And so you'd have to, you know, do quite a number of those dashes to get to 200 milliseconds or to, uh, you know, two minutes or what have you. And uh, then also the other problem that really kind of made it infeasible for a lot of people is that you had to pass around the test scheduler. So you had to use dependency injection and pass it around. And it was um, really annoying. Whereas when you're using the test scheduler.run method, the usage of the test scheduler will just automatically Automatically happen for you transparently. Any any operator that uses a scheduler, so like debounce time and things like that, will just use that scheduler automatically for you. Um, you don't have to manually inject it. So that's a real real nice thing. There's a bunch of things we want to do around the test scheduler to improve it, and we spent a ton of time trying to do so. Um, but it was becoming one of those things where it was like we want to instead of trying to fix everything under the sun and dragging it out for long, long, long periods, we wanted to get out. Um, an iterative process, like you know, just uh, what we what we were confident that we could get out um, for version six. So, uh, Ben, probably can, can I interrupt for a second there on the because yeah, because you just you hit on the sore sore spot for me because I've been using the test scheduler, but I always had to have that injection thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you're saying I I can yank that out of there. I don't have to write my code with uh, injecting a scheduler in there. It'll just happen for me automatically with six. Yeah, uh, only if you use testscheduler.run. So it, there's a, a documentation page, documentation page, and I don't know if you guys post like notes with this, but we can give you a link to to post to the docs. Yeah, you can uh, post in the chat. And cool. Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. So uh, it. 
allows you, so inside there, you basically provide a callback to this method when you call it. And inside of that callback, any code that executes will use that test scheduler automatically instead of needing to use dependency injection. Um, so that's how we, that's the trick we use is inside uh -huh. that callback. Um, the, you know, all the injection just happens for you automatically. And, and that's great. Is six out? I'm a little behind. I, always, I'm, I guess I'm on five. Is it on six now? It is. Yep, yep, yep. And six is out. Okay. So remember, that, remember that ng comp thing? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I heard about that. <laughs> so I have, a, I have a question for someone who didn't like use it uh, before. Um, how can I try it? Like, do I use the ArcGIS marble testing or should I use it like directly? Uh, so the best way to get started is just to take a look at the doc page and it, it'll walk you through not only the API, but also just like how the, the ASCII marble diagrams themselves and trying to explain them. It's kind of a tough, like, it's one of those things where it's like some people, they get it very naturally and they're like, oh yeah, duh. But other people are like, it's a lot harder. Um, we're still, I guess, thinking of ways of how, what's the best way to describe it to people. Um, like how do you describe, because you're, you're writing these diagrams inside of a string with ASCII characters to represent the passage of time and, and values and stuff like that. If you're already really familiar with it, because one of the problems is that some people who know Rx aren't actually that familiar with marble diagrams to begin with, like regular you know, graphical marble diagrams. And so they have to kind of learn two concepts at once. They have to learn what a marble diagram is fundamentally and then how to represent them with this special custom DSL, this domain-specific language that we have created. Um, it's not it's not too difficult though. I, th I think after taking a look at some of the examples, it becomes a little more self-explanatory. Yeah, and everyone, everybody who played marbles as a kid should probably get it. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. <laughs> and uh, there are also a number of uh, uh, medium articles and blog posts and stuff that people have done over the years, over the last couple of years, um, that talk about the marble syntax in general. Those are still applicable to a certain extent. Um, the, the version six inside the run method uses, there's some subtleties like a single dash no longer represents 10 milliseconds. It represents one millisecond. Um, but other than that, everything else is correct. Um, and they, thank you for that, by the way, because I had these little tricks where I had to change the time to 10. Just, uh, that's, that was an annoyance. That was a, yes, that's well, a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's largely a side effect of the fact it wasn't really designed for public consumption, but people started consuming it, right? Um, so, and, and another thing, so we've been talking about the test schedule for a while. I do want people that are listening to this to know that uh, using the test scheduler is not a requirement for testing RxJS code at all. Absolutely not. No. You, can, you can use a subject, you can use just a simple observable of or something like that. Um, you can use a, a library called Jasmine Autospice, which I wrote, which give you like autospice for observables. Oh, okay. cool. Yeah, that's, 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 that. that's the first time I've heard of that, actually. Yeah, but yeah it's, it's, The test <laughs> scheduler is, is not a requirement. It's very helpful in instances where you do have timing issues or you might in, in instances where you might have multiple concurrent things and you you want to visually be able to see which one of those things is winning but um yeah 
There's also like, yeah. like if you're using a library like Jest, Jest has really good built-in um, mocking abilities of time itself. Like it has a really great um, library or really great hooks into that. And then you can imperatively advance time virtually. You know, it has its own kind of virtual time type of thing. And then the ArcGIS will work with that just like anything else was because it relies on, you know, set timeout and set interval and stuff like that. So um, those are totally fine. Uh, the marble diagrams are just a little more declarative and more... Uh, specific to rxjs but definitely not a requirement cool so i'm sorry i have to ask one more thing because it used to be a separate library the marble testing library is it now part of rxjs proper mm, uh, it, it's always been part of rxjs proper the separate libraries uh were kind of hooking the the test scheduler and overriding it usually yeah providing some more niceties on top of that got it yeah, and so it is. It is. Um, yeah, it is part of ArcGIS proper. There is still a couple. Like, there's a library called like RX Marbles. I think it's. I think it's called that OJ made. Well, it's been updated. It now up. It now uh, wraps testscheduler.run method. So cool. Ben, so Ben, do you want to touch on um, the API changes for version six, the imports? Uh, right. So the, the biggest set of changes, there's two real major changes for version six that happened. Uh, the first one was that uh, we reorganized all of the, the exports from RxJS into a few sites because before you would import like, uh, you'd say import observable from RxJS slash observable and import, uh, you know, from event from RxJS slash observable slash from event. And um, there is, you know, you'd end up with a dozen of imports uh, per file for RxJS. And what we did is we consolidated that to importing all any operator, any pipeable operator, you import, instead of importing them from RxJS slash operators slash map and so on, you import all of them from uh, RxJS slash operators. And then for everything else, pretty pretty much everything else, with a, with a couple of minor exceptions, but as far as an Angular user goes, everything else would come from uh, just RxJS. So if you can import subject and behavior subject and observable and any of the schedulers from RxJS. So and there is a thank the, you for that, by the way. Yeah, no problem. The the uh, the major reason for that is it's just it was just a headache to decide where to import things from. Sometimes people are importing things from the wrong spot. Um, we do we do have a backwards compatibility package that enables people to still import from those spots if they're not fully ready to migrate over. Uh, but that's so that's one major API change. Um, and what happened is we have also the moved it underneath a directory called internal, so people knew what they should not be messing with. If if you're importing something in your app from ArcGIS slash internal. Uh, it, it'll work, but there, you're, you've voided, voided your warranty. Like you might get a patch change that actually breaks that because we we have we've we've got license to move around anything underneath internal because that's internal. It's not it's not for public consumption. Yeah, right, uh, right. So be careful out there. And also, you have uh, the TSLint um, rules that right, right. So the, the TSLint rules. Uh, provide a variety of fixes, but the main one is, is going through and, and fixing that sort of thing. Um, it's TS, uh, is it ArcGIS-TSLint, uh, and Minko uh, Gebchev actually worked on that. He, um, 
I think I butchered his last name there, but anyways, Minko. Uh, no, no, that's right. He uh, he he did a lot of work on that, and what it what it boils down to is that it's TS lint rules with an auto fix that will go through and update all of your code from RxJS five code to RxJS six code. Um, so, and it'll work with any version of five code for, for the most part. Uh, and it does it in seconds. We ran the same code against Google, against, you know, hundreds and hundreds of projects and updated all of Google and it worked. Uh, so it's been vetted pretty well. And, and, and it's been out in production now for several months and I haven't heard too many complaints about it. So it's, it's pretty solid. Uh, and I highly recommend using that if you're a TypeScript user, if you're not a TypeScript user, you might want to use the RxJS compat library and then slowly go through and migrate your code uh, manually. Because if you're in JavaScript, we don't have the type information to, to make some of the automatic fixes. Right. And uh, so the imports uh, location were one thing, right? And right. what are the other things like in general? Like So the, the other kind of major thing that has bitten a few people, but not, not too many, it usually bites people who write bad tests, but there's, um, there's a change where RxJS, all previous versions of RxJS uh, would, if you had an unhandled exception, that, what that means is if there is an error that propagated all the way down your observable, and then you did not have an error handler in your subscribe, uh, either either in your observer that you're subscribing with or as like the actual an actual function to handle the error, then RxJS will say, oh, okay, well, you're not handling this error. Therefore, it's an unhandled error. And I know what to do with that. I'll just rethrow it right now. And that's what previous versions did. And the problem with that is it would unwind the stack uh, back to... Uh, just back, back through, this is JavaScript takes over when you synchronously throw an error. It says, I'm going to unwind the stack looking for a try-catch. And everywhere there isn't a try-catch, an error happened there too, in, in theory, right? So if there's a for loop that's notifying a bunch of consumers and say a share, then if one of those shared observable chains has an error and it propagates all the way back to that for loop, then all of its siblings that are also sharing that same observable no longer get notified. And it's a very, very hairy bug to track down. Uh, so in, in talks with the TC39, when the, the observable proposal uh, was being examined, uh, we decided that it would be better to do what's called host report errors, which is just a fancy way to say, uh, put in a set timeout and then like schedule a set timeout and then rethrow the error inside the set timeout. And what that does is it throws uh, the error in its own call stack. So there's nowhere to unwind. Uh, and then it gets reported to uh, window on air or process on air um, and into your console in, in uh, all modern browsers. So uh, that's, that's been kind of the solution. And where this could bite some people is the only place I've seen it bite anybody, honestly, is if someone has a test where they expect an observable subscription to throw an error, um, you can't really capture that in the test anymore because... Uh, what that's going to do is try to put a try catch around a subscribe call. And that doesn't really make any sense because most observables are going to be asynchronous. So you can't really catch something asynchronous inside of a try catch unless you, you, you're doing like async await or something like that. We're dealing with promises, but that's, that's a different animal. So um, the, best, the best way to handle that is now is either with async await and for each or uh, like that's another method of subscription of observable or 
better yet is just to add an error handler in your subscribe call in your test and say, oh, an error made it to this point and just make an asynchronous test. Cool. And um, okay, so changing the way we you handle error, so it's less hairy. So you basically shaved the solution or something like that. And then uh, add imports. And other than that, are there other major changes? Not really. Uh, every other major change that we had in there, we, we reverted to just be deprecations. So um, they didn't break people. So we just kind of, we've, we've got plans deprecations. Um, some of them are still being debated on the team. Like we, we, there's, like we're for sure deprecating. There's like a concat operator and a static concat method and that causes problems. So we're for sure deprecating the operator but when we deprecate it, we don't know if we're going to remove it or just kind of rename it to something else like concat with. Like right now, the consensus is we're going to rename it to cat, concat with. So I don't want to really say we don't know that we're going to do that, right? It's, it's, it's positive that we're going to do that, but we haven't, the, the work hasn't landed yet. So um, there, there's things like that where we were going to remove operators or rename operators, and we chose not to do that in, in, in favor of just deprecating them for now. I see. By the way, the TC39 thing, is it uh, still on the go or? No, the, the TC39 proposal, um, I spoke with Joffrey Hussain the other day. It's It's been stalled for a very long time. Uh, I believe he's looking for someone else to take it over. Um, so there's still a lot of people. It's one of those things where the community is very split. Uh, there's a lot of people that really believe it should be in a language. And there's there's a few people who aren't sure. Like it, I, I wouldn't say that there's anyone who's like, no, this should definitely not be in the language. Uh, but that that uh, lack of confidence is what's what's keeping it stalled. Well, I think so, uh, when we we went to speak with um, Dan, little Dan at um, at WorkerConf, it sounded like really what it needs is more of a champion. So I know we've been sort of discussing that and figuring out how to get a champion to like sort of go into DC 39 and just bring it up on the agenda again. Um, Cause I think a lot of times when it comes to proposals and this is why voices are so important um, and you don't realize how just, you know, even commenting on one of these proposals uh, can impact like TC 39 is you just have to have more people talking about it um, so that people can like, keep it top of mind and sort of like get their questions addressed. Ben, do you remember some of the, cause I think some of the things that he was thinking uh, that Dan was like opposing last time with observable was kind of like a misunderstanding of how some of the things were working, but. Right. I think that like some of it was just kind of, he wasn't sure how it benefited the community. He wasn't sure how broad the usage was. Um, and, you know, in speaking with them, you know, he kind of realized that the usage is, is broad and growing. Uh, and one of the things he hadn't considered that I had, I had talked to him about was that if we can get Observable to land in JavaScript proper, then we will have a much better debugging story for um, dealing with, like, going into, like, say, Chrome Dev Tools and being able to debug what's happening inside of an Observable. Because, I mean, it's just like promises, right? Like, a promise library is harder to debug. Yeah, um, in general than, than uh, a native promise because there's things they can do to get uh, metadata about what's happening inside of a promise in Chrome DevTools or, or in other um, like native tools that are built, built alongside of the, the actual runtime. So 
if we can if we can get observable to land there, I mean, not only will we be shipping less code, but um, because RX could just be built on top of that, but we would have a better debugging story, which is a big deal. Nice. So maybe in the future, right? This is the current uh, status. And I, uh, well, one thing that you mentioned is adoption and adoption comes from few things, I believe. You're doing a, a good job in the community and also you started um, new docs, which was, a real pain point in the past, I know. Tracy and started that, yeah. That's, uh, it's Tracy's baby. She, she kind of took that over because, uh, honestly, I just didn't have time to do enough. So, so first of all, thank, thank you, Tracy. And I, I would love to, uh, to hear if you can share with us uh, what's the current status on that and if you need any help and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that this is kind of another thing where, you know, you are like... You, I'm always pleasantly surprised how helpful I can be by not really being much help at all. So like <laughs> my thing, my thing is just, you know, get involved um, and like do things. Right. So the reason why I got involved in the docs was just because uh, I kept hearing complaints about it and like everybody was annoyed and frustrated and had other things on their plate. So I was just like, okay, let's, and I kept trying to get other people to do it but it just never, it just, it's like nobody ever wanted to take initiative. So I decided to lead it. And now actually what's happened, and I, I've really loved seeing this transition. I was actually just noticing this on the, the, the team meetings today. So every other week we have a learning team meeting and we have a core team meeting. Um, so beforehand, what would happen is like tons of people would come to the learning team meeting where they really felt like they could contribute. So basically what we did was we created like, this new ArcGIS docs repo where we could have more explanation related things, uh, real world examples, you know, JSPIN examples of how to use ArcGIS and these different operators. And uh, Brian Tronconi um, from LearnRxJS.io was one of the great people who like helped sort of like lend uh, a lot of his his like definitions of what are what, what the different operators were there. Um, and then what happened was, you know, the community sort of took like took a mind of itself. Jan Nicholas has been the one that's been mainly like helping shepherd a lot of the stuff that's been happening with the docs lately. But from that, we were able to get a lot of additional contributors to RxJS core. So Ben, I was so happy today to see like, you know, the RxJS core team meetings have actually uh, like there's been a, like a lot more people that have showed up and started participating within the actual, um, library. I don't know if you noticed that Ben, but yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I absolutely noticed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like so great. But anyway, it's just in turn. So like, sorry, I, I kind of like derailed into like why it's awesome how the ArcGIS community and contributors are growing, but now Peter Bacon Darwin helped us create new API docs or create new docs generated from the API. Um, and he used that with Jenny, which is what angular.io is, is, you know, use, I don't know if you guys know, but that, that's what they use to generate the docs for angular.io. So if you go now to the official documentation, um, that's using Jenny under the hood. And um, really what we're looking for now is people to, take like things from the ArcGIS docs repo, meaning all the different 
like new explanations, JS bins, et cetera, that we've done already and merge that with the new API docs so that we have like one source of truth. Cause right now we're basically trying to reconcile the two and it's really easy work. It's just like somebody needs to like dig in and help with that type of stuff. Right. And the other thing I can tell people is uh, generally I'm the, I'm the primary one that merges PRs. And if you want to fast track to getting a PR merged in a popular repository, uh, contribute to the docs at RxJS because it, it pretty much it go you go through and I, I read it and if it looks if it looks good or it looks okay or if somebody else when somebody else in the core team reads it, it looks good and it looks okay it, it's in it's merged um, and that's fantastic and you know it's it's not it, some people might think it's not the sexiest work but honestly the docs get looked at way more than the source code does so it's one way to one way to think about this is is that you'll be helping a lot of people by contributing to the docs. And the, the last release that we did, uh, patch release, actually was after uh, I had been for four weeks straight, once probably once every other day, going through and merging four or five uh, to eight PRs somewhere in there. And when I do, when I cut a release, um, I, I generate the change log based off that release. And so there was only one uh, bug fix change after. So out of, you know, 30, 40 uh, merged PRs, only one of those PRs was actually a bug fix. Everything else was documentation changes. Uh, so we're, there's been a lot of really uh, people doing a really good job helping to update um, the documentation. And we're getting trying to get that published out uh, with every release. Now we're definitely getting it published out that's automated uh, with every release. So it's a really good opportunity to contribute by contributing to documentation. Yep, that's uh, and that that's the easiest uh, way to to get in, right? Um, and by the way, how how can we make it so that um, Google will stop showing the the I think it's ReactiveX.io documentation, right? Which talks about RX five, right? This is the this is right the the current effort is to 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 transition right to the new docs. So Ben, you you work at Google. Can you like talk with them about like lowering the rank? On you the- you'd be surprised how little pull I have here. <laughs> <laughs> the docs, so I mean, if you go to the old docs, it just reroutes you to the new docs. So really? even if, yeah, even if yeah, they show up. The route, yeah. Yeah, like mm. even if those show up as um, search results. But I guess, yeah, I guess if you're not going to the root, then you still have that problem. We're actually working on that as well. We um, This is like another uh, big effort. So like right now, if you really think about it, you have the original docs, then you have like the RxJS docs repo, and then you have the new docs, which is currently what the current docs are. So, uh, but anyways, um, mm. I think within the next like month or two, we're going to be like, making you know we're going to be like i mean there's been talk about like for example removing the old docs but there's just some cleanup we have to do beforehand so feel free to like open up an issue or tweet any one of us and we're super happy to like guide you through how to help out with that initiative so it goes faster nice okay cool deploy more pay less with DigitalOcean the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute 
flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price to performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash adventures. By the way, anyone from the panel, if you have a question, feel free to join and just like uh, snatching the mic every time. But uh, feel free. All right, to... I'm gonna I'm gonna snatch your mic. Yeah. <clears throat> um, one of the things that that changed that's interesting is the um, you now discourage creating your own subclasses of observable in favor of piping, and I think you also discourage uh, subclassing subject. Am I, am I right about both of those things? I think I'm right about observable. Uh, yeah, I, I would discourage subclassing observable unless you've got a really, really important use case. But for the most part, it's kind of like subclassing promise, right? Like if someone did that, you'd kind of look at them and be like, what you doing? Right. Like it's, it's probably, (laughs) probably not something you need to do. Yeah, something um, we used to do a lot, a fair amount, though. Uh, that's why you had the lift operator and all that, but that's all gone pretty much, right? Right. Well, that's not exactly, that's not the entirety of the reason why we have it, but... Um, so the, 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 the one thing is that um, we're, you know, the ArcGIS community and the core team, at least, my, my understanding is that there hasn't been... That's the, as far as subclassing observable, while discouraged is still supported and there's still is some an outstanding question because there are valid use cases um redux observable is an example of the yep. library that that subclass is observable and, and ngrx does as well correct yeah and there's and there's really no other way to do what you need to do um i mean you could I mean there's a way like you could just not subclass observable and now type safety kind of suffers because you can't you know you can't right. say can't pass it to something that it expects an observable. I mean, I guess with TypeScript, it's a little easier just because TypeScript is uh, 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 structurally typed instead of nominal, nominally typed. And so you could make the structure of your fake observable look like the structure of a real observable without, sub, without actually subclassing it. Um, and then you could get away with it, but you wouldn't be able to get away with it in Flow where, where um, they're nominally typed. So... Um, I don't know. It's an outstanding question. It's, it's a good question. Just one of those things where it's like, I think my, my, my hunch would be, this isn't speaking for the core team, but my hunch would be that just that there's bigger fish to fry. So at the point, at the current moment, it's still supported and just discouraged to kind of, you know, it's, it's, it sucks to have to say this, but there's kind of no better way to say that. Like, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, if you understand why it's discouraged, it's probably okay that you're using it. If you, if you don't understand right. it, you probably shouldn't be using it. I'm sorry that I had to step away there. I had to, you know what? I had, I had security call me from where I live. Oh, wow. <laughs> What's happening? It was, everything was, okay? fine. It, was, it was their mistake, but um, yeah. Okay. Anyway. The snipers went home. No, that's right. That's They're right. Like, there's a muscle-bound guy with glasses that's uh, <laughs> wearing a hat and he's Mr. talking Anderson. about RxJS. Right. <laughs> right. So yeah, what everything I was I was I was listening to what Jay Jay said there, and, and everything he said is is pretty much accurate. If if you understand why it's it's probably not something you want to do, then it's probably okay that you're doing it because you'll be able to pivot later. Um, this segues segues a bit into what I'm doing in the experimental branch of RxJS. Um, 
So in the experimental branch of ArcGIS, uh, there is a lift, but it's not a method on observable anymore. And then again, this is experimental. This isn't something that's set in stone, but uh, it's it's looking pretty solid. So the, the goals of the experimental, bra experimental branch are to make ArcGIS uh, lighter and faster uh, and, you know, the minimal amount of breaking changes. Um, and what... Uh, what we've done, and actually, the so just prim, preliminarily, I went through and, and updated an Angular app, an existing Angular app, to um, well, it was it was a uh, Hello World app. So just like if you went and you just did Angular CLI, start a new app, you know, name test or whatever, uh, and ran it. And what I did is I went in and replaced uh, RX six, which was sitting in there, with this this experimental version of RX, uh, and it still worked, uh, which is good, obviously. Uh, but uh, the size of RX in the bundle went from 17k down to 7k. Um, and what I've what I've found with the, with the new experimental branch is in every single case where I'm looking at bundling multiple operators, bundling multiple things together, uh, the result is about 40% of the original size when compared to to RX six. So um, and it's faster in in a lot of cases. Uh, in terms of just individual interaction. Uh, so this is, there's work if you go to, um, if you go to the RxJS repository, there's a branch called Experimental. Uh, in the readme there, there's a design doc that's, that's linked that describes the design. Um, but part of this, uh, the reason I got into this is part of this is, again, there, there is a, there's actually a lift function that I use in there. But um, it's not a lift method on observable anymore. And that's, that's, uh, so that's one thing that the design is kind of stepping away from. Because in order to do that particular thing, which doesn't work for very well in TypeScript, at least for cases where you would need like higher kind of types or something like that, which just are never going to land in TypeScript, period. Um, uh, you know, it's just, not, it's just not worth it. Like we would actually have to go back to using classes. So the design, the new design, uh, actually everything is functions. When I, before, you know, I do these talks and I'd say observables are just functions. And the new design observables are literally actually just functions. Like there's, there's, uh, well, you still use them with exactly the same API. <laughs> You're but saying it was all a lie before. <laughs> what, what? You're saying it's all, it was all a lie before, but now they're really uh, yeah, just functions. Yeah, I was lying to you. <laughs> oh, no, it was, it was a mental model and it was, it was a great right. mental model, but, right. um, but, but the reality was it was classes and now you're saying it's functions. Yeah, yeah. So before we had a class that wrapped a function, now we we actually have a function is there so if you were to like in the experimental branch if you were to go in and say source you know equals new observable it would it would all act and look the same as is uh rx6 does but if you did type of source you would get function now instead of object so um there's there's a few changes uh like that and all of this is based off of uh loosely based off of andre stoltz's callbacks design so it's it's a bit different it's not the same design as, as his because i'm threading through uh a subscription and not using talkbacks and a few other uh things for for a variety of reasons usually mostly just size and performance reasons um and uh but yeah that's this thing and the angular team is extremely excited about it i know because it it uh means that you know you're knocking 10 20 30k off of angular app sizes easily uh because you know it's you're you're cutting you're you're doing more than you're, you're cutting uh the rx 
size of it more, more than in half. Uh, and it's faster. So uh, it's, it's interesting stuff. I'm having a lot of fun working on it. Uh, and I should, I should be able to get a, an alpha out of this in the next couple of months. Uh, no promises, of course, because it's, while it's a priority, because I have it's a observable. Either exactly. Ivy. But if, right. It's an observable. It can't be a promise. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you missed that. You, you may or may not observe this in in the next couple months. <laughs> so the, you're talking about you're talking about um, basically ArcGIS seven alpha, no? Yeah, yeah. That would be an ArcGIS seven alpha, and whenever it's published. Mm, so the, the goal again with this um, is firmly to make everything smaller with the minimal amount of breaking changes. So we're not going to be moving files around again. Uh, and but we will do another thing. Like if there's things that we can take care of with like ArcGIS TS Lint um, with automatic transforms, we'll definitely do that again. If there's things we can take care of with backwards compatibility libraries, we'll definitely do that again. Um, but you know, whenever whenever the alpha comes out, it's just like here. If you want to play with this, uh, feel free. It's it's definitely not here. Go use this in production. That's just if you're crazy, um, use it in production, right? But but yeah, yeah. So it's, the the goal is to make it smaller. I'm super excited about it. And, nice. uh, and so but got, the cool. subclassing observable will not be a thing in in this particular architecture unless uh, we figure out a way to still have people do that. Well, I think it's funny because, well, not funny, but I guess, you know, for those who are listening who might have no idea what the hell Ben's talking about, um, because some of the RxJS stuff and like how it works is is over your head and, you know, maybe you're just starting, um, you know, don't let that discourage you from just like trying to learn more and, and trying to just like get involved or, you know, start using RxJS um, slowly within your application, you know, or ask questions on Twitter or write blog posts on this. Uh, whenever I talk to like folks like Ben or uh, any other, you know, framework or library authors, y'all are always talking about like the next thing you're doing. Cause that's what you're excited about. You know, and you talk about like, you know, beginner steps of RxJS stuff, uh, so often, but, um, you know, just a note out there that yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you, and and I <clears throat> I feel that tension too because yeah. on this show we try and cater to both things. But when you get when you get Ben and you get uh, yeah, Jay on here, you kind of wanna you wanna go where only they can go. And uh, so, uh, apologies to anybody who thinks that this is a beginning <clears throat> an introduction to RxJS. <laughs> good point. Uh, uh, good point it, about that. it's a great point. Um, yeah. But it's exciting also to be able to have a show where uh, instead of it's shy and worried messing up on what RxJS is, we actually get to talk to other people who know better, <laughs> which is all three of you. Well, for, for beginners in RxJS, I would say, um, the, I mean, just I would just tell them that uh, you know, while I'm the lead on the project, there was a time where I was a beginner in RxJS. Like it, it existed before I ever contributed to it for several years. And um, yeah, and in fact, whenever I was, whenever someone was like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to help rewrite this? I was like, uh, yeah, I'm not qualified to do that. So I don't know why you think you want me to do that. But I mean, um, you know, it all worked out, but the, the point being that no one's born just knowing this stuff. And uh, you know, I'm not an exceptionally like 
smart person. I'm a pretty average person. I screw up every day, just like everybody else, or maybe more than some other people do. I don't even know. But um, if someone ever looks at RxJS and is like, oh, this is so hard, uh, you know, tackle it like you would any other programming problem and just break it down into smaller pieces, learn observable, learn filter, learn map, um, and try, try not to worry too much about the whole big picture and just Focus on the little things and and move your way forward because that's what literally what I had to do. Would you recommend starting with a switch map? Starting with switch map, I I don't know if I would start with switch (laughs) map. I think Shy would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's got the whole skit. Just watch Shy's skit on switch map, and you'll be. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Shy. That's one down, fifty operators to go. Yeah, Shy wins at least. So we're going to need 50 ng comps in order to get yeah, complete recovery. recovery. So I have actually I have a thought. So sometimes people talk about well, there's so many there's so many operators in RxJS, and it makes it makes it so difficult to decide which one to use. Why did you guys implement all of these? And there are some operators that, of course, are derived from other. Like you can build certain operators from other operators, and and people are like why are why is RxJS building these and supporting them? And honestly, it's because uh, every single one of the operators generally has some nuance around it. And when I see people try to implement their own custom, even a custom mapping uh, uh, operator, if they try to do it themselves, it's, as simple as that one is, um, more often than not, I see people mess it up. <laughs> and so uh, the reason that we have every operator under the sun implemented is, one, uh, the way that we're doing things with pipables now, there's no bundle size impact if you're, if you're using a model, modern bundler. And two, now you have access to all, like every operator you could probably want to use. And they're not, um, you know, the, you know that they're tested very well. You know that they're tested for edge cases that experts know about and, and these sorts of things. So you get, a, you get a, some sort of guarantee of safety with, with some of these things. So if, if anyone ever asks you, why are there so many operators? Uh, it's because we're trying to we're trying to help you out, but you, you don't really have to know all of them. Um, I I couldn't name them all off the top of my head right now if I had to. Probably, <laughs> someone game to me, I would fail. It'd, it'd be a good game to play, actually. <laughs> yeah, just <clears throat> and see how fast you can say them. And if we could get it done before the show ends, that would really be remarkable. <laughs> I, I would have to cheat. There's 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 pretty much no way I would remember. I have a suggestion, but by the way, I was so preparing for the switch map token, ngconf. Um, we we invented this term for us to make sense of like you know the flattening and the mapping. So we called it mapping uh, <laughs> operators, right? So I'm not right. sure if if it's like any like has any relation to the what's actually happening but um it helped us like maybe uh, categorizing the different um operators uh, with like you know uh cute names so at least we'll have you know categories so people could go to and so maybe it's a suggestion for the docs or just talk yes yeah that's that's not a bad idea and in that regard it's kind of a shame that uh flat map was once used to it's still actually used to alias merge map Mm -hmm. uh, because flat map is is not a great name because if you look at it like concat map flattens and maps switch map flattens and maps merge map flattens and maps so to say that merge map is flat map is is one of the reasons we changed the name is it just didn't make any sense right like all yeah. of these flatten. Why, why does this one have a generic name? Uh, they're all kind of flat map operators. Um, 
but uh, you know the the name Flatmap has been intimately related to merge mapping now for quite some time. So uh, uh, you know we wouldn't be able to classify it in that manner at least for several years until people forgot, I guess. But uh, I, I, if you call if you call all the four right, there are four like concat and merge and switch and uh, exhaust, right? Uh, yes. So all 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 those are flattening. Um, and map and mapping, right? So mapping operators, something like that. Uh, maybe those could be a category, one category out of the, you know, out of the rest. Yeah, uh, it's it's um, yeah. There's there's definitely there's definitely room for for trying to categorize because like right now I think they they all just show up in a big pile. Um, yeah, so that's what there's there's, there's lots of that, you should that, put the suggestion in and on the. On the repo for for the docs, or even uh, you know, I would put the suggestion in, have people discuss it, and then we come up with a good idea and and run with it. But yeah, the docs the docs need that sort of help. Honestly. You know that that reminds me um, <clears throat> back to docs. Tracy, is somebody going to bring in the? There's some decision trees out there where you say, if I want to do this, then yes, you, yes. and you start working your way down the tree till you end up <clears throat> with a likely candidate. Is that going to be part of your docs? Yes, we, um, if there's not an issue, I need to create an issue on it. And we're just looking for somebody from the community to get that done. Uh, <laughs> Cause that's, uh, Ben said that was one of the biggest complaints. Where's the, where's the choose your own operator doc, but yeah, we're definitely adding it back in or you can ward. I, I could in my copious. Um, <laughs> all right. I, I got another one for Ben. I, I, this is from an angular perspective. Now, many Angular developers will recognize that the dreaded, you changed it um, uh, twice uh, during that one cycle uh, error, that you, one change detection cycle. Uh, and it's quite easy to get that when you have a, uh, an observable because it can be synchronous. And so you could initialize, say, a Boolean to false, and then you do something and it immediately turns true. Um, so, and that's because observables have the nice property that they can be synchronous. If I want to force an observable to be asynchronous, say to avoid that error, you know, just take a tick. What's your What's your recommendation? Uh, the easiest way to do it is just to you can add an observe on operator and then provide to that uh, like the ASAP scheduler. So what that'll do is it'll it'll just force every single nexted item to happen on a micro task. Um, so yeah, that, that forces essentially forces all notifications to be asynchronous. Um, what a lovely only, opportunity only for you to... Thing I would say about that is if you have uh, a synchronous fire hose, like say you, for some reason you have a, like an observable that synchronously emits like a million values, which is nuts. But if you did, it's going to buffer all of those and then send them out in the next micro task. So um, because it has to, like, there's it has to remember them somehow before it, it sends them out asynchronously. But that's that's a really really corner case. Like, I, I don't think many people would have that problem. Awesome. So um, I have, if we are on topic of Angular, um, so you joined the Angular team, uh, and one question that uh, we uh, asked on the last episode. Um, was maybe 
the integration point with Angular, like ArcGIS in, uh, integration points, we, we know that people who use NGRX are heavy users of uh, ArcGIS. Um, and we wondered about like maybe the future of Angular or um, maybe other use, usages because currently what we mentioned uh, is that if you look at the template and the component uh, and you want to subscribe, let's say, or not subscribe, but want to listen to an event, right? So you just bind it to a method, which is kind of the declarative uh, way Angular always used to, to do. Um, it's, it's like another way to do it. And I saw you do it in, in uh, several of your uh, talks. Uh, is to just like subscribe to that event on a specific element, right? So will there be some kind of a way to maybe, I don't know, subscribe to an event in a way that doesn't break like the, I don't know, element uh, out of the component class uh, best practice or something like that? You, you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. Uh, I mean, right now, the current... Current tech, the best thing to do is is uh, set up a subject, and then you know you can literally next on your subject uh, where you're saying like you know click equals and then subject dot next dollar sign event right like that's the that's the right current tech that's the best thing you can do. Um, there are designs now. This these these designs are all uh, hypothetical uh, that we're talking about, but they, and they wouldn't land until after Ivy lands. That's the biggest uh, bit of work that's being done right now. But um, there are designs and a lot of thoughts being put around uh, and stuff that I'll be working on uh, being put around having uh, additional template syntax. So you can say, uh, you can define in your component that, you know, I've got clicks, which is an observable and um, maybe use like a subject or something in there still. But uh, what you end up doing, or maybe a, a, probably a custom type of some sort that's specific to Angular and then what you end up doing is there's a new template syntax that says, oh, when you click this, I want that click event to go into this observable. And what that does is uh, it gives us a way to, at uh, compile time, decide that that's a cold observable uh, that doesn't actually, the subscription doesn't actually exist until, um, until the, the component is actually mounted or the, the observable itself is is not it's not hot like if, if you have a subject that you're nexting into that's a hot observable and, and that's that's a little different but you'd still be able to test that way but uh the long long story short is we're trying to come up with better ways to get observables out of templates in a more seamless way for people uh and then there's also uh we're looking into better alternatives than pipe async even for um binding out observables in in views and uh to Kind of like what Ward was talking about, we're having, you know, we're having these issues with change detection because observables can emit uh, very rapidly. Um, there's there's a lot of uh, talk and work that's planned around um, dealing with state management in Angular and dealing with um, like uh, change detection in al like alternative ways. So trying to like move forward in such a way that you might be able to get an observable chain to go all the way from like click through whatever you're doing back out to the out to updating the view without having to run through zones, which is kind of a bit of misdirection whenever you're doing these things, right? So um, 
there's there's a lot of there's a lot of work planned in that. It's it's only going to get better. Uh, I would say the the Angular team is pretty. They're pretty into RX. Uh, they're not um, like your Hello World Ivy app is meant to be as small as possible. So technically, that ships without much or any RX in it. But like once you start writing an Angular app, there's going to be um, there's gonna there's always going to be a decent amount of RX because uh, it, it's looking like a solid choice for backing state management choices. Even if it's not an API, and maybe you're not using the RX API directly, maybe. Uh, it's just backing what state management's doing or whatever, but um, they're definitely all in with RX and, and reactivity and reactivity is looking to be a better solution uh, for doing things like updating views than even uh, zones can be. Uh, there's, there's, there's a few problems like, so for example, uh, and, and a, a lot of, so a lot of people that are in the know know about this, but maybe just the general public doesn't um, async awaits. While it is a, a really interesting way to compose uh, asynchronous things in JavaScript, it's great uh, as far as readability goes. One of the one of the issues with it is you can patch promise, but you cannot patch the promise that comes back from async await. So, if you want to write something like zones that says, "Hey, every time a promise resolves, I want to go run some external logic," uh, you can patch promise to do that, but you can't pass promise patch promises that are coming back from async await. And to date, this is fine because everybody's transpiling their JavaScript uh, from like TypeScript or something. And it takes async await code and changes it into regular promises, which are then patched. But in the future, uh, now, especially now that all major uh, modern browsers support async await, um, people are going to want to just ship the async await code because it's a lot smaller. And it runs you know, these native promises that can't be patched. So that means that you can't really hook those promises with zones. So it's like the things like that are going to break zones. They're going to not, they're going to break zones. They're going to break fake async. They're going to break a lot of testing libraries that try to, to uh, fake asynchrony. Um, it's not, it's, I mean, it's not just the Angular world that's going to break from this. And there's, there's stuff in React, uh, like the, the React community, as far as testing libraries and stuff go that are, that are going to have problems. So, um, so going forward, uh, you know, looking at better solutions for state management, uh, a lot of these will focus on using reactive approaches, uh, be it RxJS or something that's derived from RxJS, uh, or even just something that works well with RxJS. Um, it, it's things are going to get better, uh, and the the template work is part of it. it be finding better ways to get uh, observables out of templates, uh, and uh, you know, finding better ways to take re reactively obtained values and and update your view is is definitely another piece to that that puzzle. Wow, nice. Thank you very much. That uh that's, that's mind blowing. Yeah, <clears throat> mind blowing and uh, give I completely hope. forgot about that awake thing. When that lands, you're right, that's gonna screw everybody. Oh, yeah. They didn't and they didn't put a hook in at all for test uh, testing when they wrote it. Yeah, so that's that's going to be that's going to be a, a tectonic uh, shift in a lot of asynchronous Java JavaScript libraries, and in particular, they're testing uh, harnesses uh, in here in the near future. So no one will be able to write a testing harness that that uh, does everything synchronously. It'll have to do it on the next microtask at a minimum uh, because you won't be able to get around the fact that some things are coming from async await. Wow. 
<laughs> I have yeah. another angular question for you. Uh, and it's, a, it's something that many people ask. They, they ask about event emitter. And they say, why do we have an event emitter and we have RxJS subjects? And, uh, and why is event emitter uh, implemented as a subject? And is it going to continue to be used that way? And, and what, what's the future for event emitter? Uh, I mean, right now, so I don't think event emitter is going to go anywhere. It is, it's basically a subclass subject. It does one more thing. And honestly, it's, it's escaping me right now. The other thing it does, um, it's, it has an emit oh. method, which is essentially next. <laughs> it's, um, oh, you know what? It's, I think it's got a, I think it's got a little bit in it that kind of, it forces certain things to be async. Um, if a certain bit is flipped, but, uh, but other than that, yeah, it's, it, it's, it has an emit method that's just alias next, you're right. Um, I don't think it's going to go anywhere because event emitter, while it's a subject, is, it's owned by uh, Angular and it makes a decent candidate for the, some of the work I was talking about with uh, getting, saying that, oh, well, here I've got um, you know, a template, some template syntax that says convert these clicks or these mouse movements or whatever into um, an observable. And there, there's a reasonable chance that we'd be able to, to look at that and be like, oh, well, here they're using our type event emitter on this class. So we know what to do in order to support this and have the observable underneath the hood be cold. So I don't think it's going to go anywhere anytime soon. Um, you know, maybe the name will change or something, but uh, I think Angular will end up probably always having some sort of specialized subject based off of um, either templating needs or its its update needs or whatever. Right, right now it is it is kind of silly. Um, <laughs> it's in there, honestly. Like uh, Stephen Fluin just the other day was was talking about how he pretty much always uses a subject instead of a ventilator for a lot of cases. Um, I don't know. It, it's I've, I've found that dubious. I wasn't involved in the original designs around that. So I, I'm not sure exactly what the original intent was there. Uh, but I can say that that something like a Venomator will, will definitely persist uh, in Angular. <clears throat> well, actually, I, I, I do have some of that history about a Venomator and, and uh, because it comes up in the reverse too. Like, should I bring a, write a, a message bus with a Venomator, which people were doing? And we said, no, use an observable. And that all, you know, I trace that back uh, to talks with Rob Wormald, who said event emitter is only for communication between, uh, you know, a parent co a component and its child component, and then everything else in the world you should use with, mm -hmm. with observable. And that was, was kind of like, okay, we'll tell everybody that, but I don't really know why that should be the case. But that's, that's the current statement of principle does that make any sense to you at all or is that just yeah, like that, history that sense. uh there's even been discussion of uh if there's a principled reason for this particular type of subject to exist on like a broader scale actually taking it uh giving it a better name than event emitter and then moving it to, into rxjs um so if if, the, if it is just a subject with some sort of scheduling uh baked into it and that that's a common use case then you know, maybe we have a scheduled subject or something in RxJS. And that's obviously not committing to any of that. But, um, you know, there's, there's been discussions about doing things that way as well. Um, but yeah, I, I, I suspect it'll continue to exist. Um, and at the worst, if it doesn't continue to exist, it, everyone just starts using regular subject instead. But 
um, I suspect it'll continue to exist because it gives it gives uh, Angular a pivot point. Like they can go underneath the hood of that and change it uh, much easier than they could go in and change subjects. Uh, because I would I would be a, that'd be a hard stop for me. Like you're not going to change the behavior of subject on you know a million people that are. <laughs> using it that are not in the Angular community, right? So, But come on, Ben, you know, it's just a little change. Yeah, right. <laughs> by the way, I think uh, RxJS right now, if you count four and five together, uh, based on, I think it's NPM stat, has like over 12 million monthly downloads now. So it's been really cool to watch. And 10 million is only Word. No, that's Ben. He's got a little thing in there and it just downloads it continuously. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it ramps up every week. And, and He's trying to run his stats up. Yeah, we, we're on to your game, Ben. I actually, I actually uh, accused Jay of doing that before. Well, probably because I, I don't know if you remember this, Ben, but I, uh, about a year ago, I tested whether that actually works and it does work. <laughs> like, like NPM has no protections apparently in place to detect that. And right. discard those stats. Like I ran a script just to see. I like created a fake package and then ran a script to hit it. Um, I uh, hit the tar. Like you can download any npm package via a tarball like URL directly. It's how npm works under the hood. And um, so I just ran a script that did it for like I don't know two or three days or something every second. Like you know just continues to do it all the time. And I left my computer open and it showed you know hundreds of thousands of downloads. I was like, oh, that's nice. I gotta do that. I gotta do that because yeah, I got yeah. stuff that's only got twelve downloads, and that's just not. <laughs> that's just not going to work. Fifteen, maybe sixteen, Ward. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, the, the real thing is, it's, it's not. I don't know. It's not like a great. It's a metric, but it's probably not a great metric. Uh, the only thing that uh, that's encouraging about the npm downloads uh, for RxJS is they have been going up in a steady linear path, right? Like it would be one thing if they suddenly just jumped up overnight, then it's like, yeah, that's probably a script or something. Uh, but well, I'm just uh, adding unless someone's writing a very advanced script that's slowly ramping up how much it downloads, then... Right, you're not giving me enough It's probably organic. Yeah, that's right. Jay is very much more subtle than that. He's right. uh, <laughs> right. Someone so, so, so I got another killer Angular question for you. Uh, the, one of the things that people... Uh, there's a huge dance around trying to make sure that you 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 get your observable but you you know it's not terminating so you get it when you start your component and then when the component goes away you got to unsubscribe you got to kill it and right now there's an awful take and till dance that takes a lot of machinery in it and and uh, it just feels like there ought to be a way um, that since angular is in charge of the component life cycle, that I, I ought to be able to register my uh, observable uh, somehow with uh, so that Angular can do that work for me, just in the way that async pipe kind of does. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, wait, just to add to that, um, because one of the confusion I see when, like, you know, uh, in my cl uh, clients' uh, questions and stuff like that, uh, or students, is where Angular handles some of the unsubscriptions, uh, like HTTP, or uh, which completes immediately, and uh, the routing, I think, or some of those, right? The activated uh, route is actually, um, you can let that go because it automatically disconnects itself, yeah. 
So, and, and some, and the custom ones obviously are not, and this is what Word asks. Uh, so there is some friction there or some confusion as sometimes it's automatically and other times it's manually. Sure. So, yeah. Uh, I've, well, I've got, I've got something for you uh, for that. That we're, we're um, actually just discussing this the other day. Um, so one of the, one of the kind of designs that's, that's uh, being thought about right now is taking all of the, um, all of the lifecycle hooks for, um, you know, like the on destroy, uh, on init, those, those sorts of things, and actually having a, a way to um, just have an observable of that. So like, uh, the, I think the, the idea was to actually just bring in a function uh, and it, the, maybe the function's called like, um, you know, on destroy dollar sign or something like that. And then you just pass this. So you pass your component instant to it or instance to that. And it would do the work of creating an observable from the destroy uh, lifecycle hook for, for that component. So it, in, in that case, it would become easier to be like, okay, take until on destroy of this, take until on destroy of this. And you can just do that over and over again. And it, would, it should be fine. Yeah, that would be cool. And to be honest, why? I mean, all lifecycle hooks could simply themselves be observables that you hook into somehow. Right, right. And that, that's instead that's, of having uh, six or seven of them, just have one thing. You know, I'm interested in life cycles, and here's what I want you to do. When I see that this thing comes down the pipe, then I'll hook into it and do whatever magic I want to do, um, and be done with it. Sure, sure. And that's that's an option. I think that the concern right now is that the standard lifecycle hook is just a function, which is very lightweight. Uh, observables yeah, aren't crazy. that heavyweight, but if you if you start adding, um, you know, six, seven observables to every single instance of in in uh, your app, uh, regardless, like just just preemptively, because maybe you need them, that's a problem. So if we were going to add something like that, it would have to be something that tree, was very tree shakeable. Uh, it wasn't added until you actually needed it. So I think I'm that's thinking the, one the hook, one life. On I'm thinking one life cycle hook, and if it's and and it's all life cycle events flow through it. And uh, obviously, if I don't subscribe to it, then it's never becomes you know you know never lights up. But you but the compiler doesn't even have you know if it doesn't see the presence the mention of that thing, then it won't hook it. And so it's right back to the same cost it is today. You use no lifecycle hooks. Actually, it's, it reduces the cost because there's only one thing to ever look at. Um, ultimately, well, anyway, that's uh, that's my dream is that um, uh, there would be one one place to go for lifecycle uh, things instead of having to know all the six or seven lifecycle hooks and one place right. to tap in and stuff like that. But um, my dream is to know what Jay Phelps' hobbies are. <laughs> oh <boy>. Software. Because, <laughs> ah. yeah, outside of work. Love assembly. Guess what I do outside of work? Software. <laughs> like, so, yeah, compi- web assembly. That, those are my biggest hobbies. Is, is uh, Eating gummies. Uh, let's just bring up that eating gummies because I literally gave Jay like five bags of gummies, okay? <laughs> and in one day, they're, all they're gone. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe he gave them to someone else. <laughs> no, so this is a this is a real thing. So Jay Jay and I like when when especially when he lived here in Silicon Valley, we used to go to the movies and 
we go to the movies and I would, I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to go get a drink. You want anything? And yeah, sure. And I'd, I'd, I'd come back and, and, I, <laughs> and every time, even if he told me not to, I would, I would come back with his, with our, you know, both of our drinks and whatever snack he requested in like at least two bags, like those big bags of, of uh, gummies or whatever gummies they sold at the movie theater. Uh, and he would, he would eat the whole bag, yeah, every, both bags every time. It was, I mean, it was like, uh, basically it was like taking my kids to the movie theater kind of. Not exactly. That's so cute. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's Um, on the ADA's list of approved foods, as I recall, right? Gummies? That's like at the top of the nutrition pyramid? I think so. With the rest of the sugar. That's why they put it on top. You're getting your protein. (laughs) It's got some bone bone meal in it, right? Or some gelatin or whatever. Yeah. uh, Just start checking yourself regularly uh, if you get to that age. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so we're getting close to the peaks, to the end of the show. I just want to ask, um, what were the craziest moments in the last year of RGS? I heard something about like a, an operator as a joke or something like that. that, well, that I think you... the craziest moment is when, when um, Ben threatened to kill me. I think that that was probably... No, I'm just kidding. He didn't, he didn't do that. Oh, do share. It happened once. <laughs> no, of course not. Well, well, Ben, you had an April Fool's joke that kind of went sideways on you, didn't you? I'm blaming Jay for that one. It is my fault, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, that? so, yeah, so what, what happened was uh, we... <laughs> oh, boy. So, so I don't know how familiar I was with Smushgate, but there's this thing that was called dubbed Smushgate where there's a flat map. Um, there, was a, there was a flat map method that was uh slated to be added to array and it was it's in a proposal i think it's at stage maybe it's stage three now actually um for array is that right jay stage three i think at even the stage three or four yeah yeah so it it advanced through pretty quickly um and you know it's it's the thing for flattening arrays but anyways there is there's a conflict between it and i think mootools um or something like that. Uh, I think it was Mutuals, and people were uh, people on the CC39 were like, "Oh God, we're going to break the web if we add this." So uh, someone proposed that they change it to Smush, and it's it's a dumb name. It's horrible. Smush is a horrible name for a method <laughs> that does that, and that's what they proposed that they're going to change it to. And there's this big stink about it. Um, and so for April Fool's Day. Uh, Jay Phelps had the wonderful idea of um, changing all of the flattening operators for like merge map, merge all, uh, merge, etc., to variations of the word smush. So like smush, smush map, smush all, and so on. <laughs> and uh, so he submitted PR and I, and I published it. So this part, the part, the bad part's my fault. So, <laughs> so I published it and we had just, it? We, we had just published uh, RxJS... Uh, version 6-RC0, uh, like days before this. And so on April Fool's Day, I, I published RCS6.0-smush.0. Wow. And uh, as it turns out, and nobody else knew this but Igor Minar, actually. And everyone else, anyone else that claims to know this, I'm going to call you a liar because no one else I knew knew, knew this. Like having a, a having text in your in your version number 
it's alphanumeric the way that this gets sorted out. It has nothing to do, like it's not namespaced if you just put a name in there. And I, I thought it was, everyone else I knew thought it was namespaced uh, with the exception of Igor. And Igor point, points out and is like, hey, did you know if you install RxJS, uh, you know, alpha, or RxJS 6 alpha, or RxJS 6 beta, or even RxJS 6 RC0, you're getting this smush thing. And I was like, what, really? He's like, yeah. I'm like, no. And then I tested it out, and sure enough, he was right. Uh, so, <laughs> and then so here's, so I, he told me this right away. And within like five minutes, I tried to unpublish it. However, ArcGIS gets used by so many people and is instantly added as a dependency to so many projects via automation or whatever that NPM has classified it as some sort of special protected package. So it falls under a different bit of logic that doesn't allow me to unpublish it. Which meant that in order to publish new release candidates, I had to come up with names or version numbers that were alphanumerically higher than 6.0.0-smush.0. So that means that um, <laughs> there was one that was like 6.0.0-tactical-rc-1. Um, what I, I named them. One was Turbo. One was I, I went through a bunch of different. Uh, it's they're all in the changelog. Um, if you go look at the RxJS changelog, but yeah, it's I had to publish all sorts of silly names in order to keep this updated, and um, it was it was just the, just silly. The price you pay for not knowing uh, some esoteric thing that Igor Minar knew. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Last year, we published uh, the smooth operator uh, yeah. for April Fool's. So it was an operator where if you called That's it awesome. and then subscribed to it, it would, in the background, just start playing the smooth operator. Still exists. It's still published. You can go out and install it and use yeah. it. So <laughs> That's nice. all it Play the song, smooth operator. It remind me of me and Nori Shaked want to create a VS Code extension that whenever you uh, get lower on your testing coverage, it started um, uh, singing, you should be testing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, more on that on later episodes. Okay, so we're in the end of the episode. We, we've gone way over our time, but it was super interesting. So we just let it go. Um, so yeah, let's start with the picks. Um, Joe, have you, have, have you got any picks yeah. for us? Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now, and it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. 
I do. I got picks. Uh, I've been picking this a lot lately. Uh, I've been playing around with sort of my own personal organization and discovered a couple of tools that I think are super awesome for organizing tasks and that sort of thing. Uh, the first one is Notion.so, which is a little bit like an upgraded wiki. So it's like a page where you can you create the website as directly in the page as you're editing it, but it's more about organization. And so you can add like calendars and you can add Kanban boards wherever you want and you drag them around on the page and then they just stay there when you come back to the page, there they are and task lists and that sort of thing. Very cool. But the other one that I really, really, really liked is Workflowy just because it was so crazy simple. You know, it's just so obvious how you use it when you first start using it. And then... As you get into it, you realize there's tons and tons and tons of power that isn't obvious immediately, but it's crazy powerful. So those two two tools are very awesome, and I highly recommend them if you feel like you at all need some kind of like task manager of any reasonable complexity. And finally, I always like to mention uh, that the Framework Summit's coming up in October 2nd and 3rd, and uh going to be a lot of awesome stuff going on there, Angular team there giving keynotes and so on and so forth. Come come check it out. Awesome. And just to add to that on the last episode before you... So after you um, had to go, I mentioned that um, I, I'm going to release an extension to Workflowy uh, as a Chrome extension. It lets hmm. you like uh, manage your sprints so you can calculate tasks, how much time are uh, estimated time and how much time you spend on them and all that stuff. So kind of cool. Um, okay, cool. So Ward, what are your picks? Well, as you know, uh, I love to pick really important. Uh, I like to send out really important picks. And so my pick today is a website called National Day Calendar, which tells you what the national day is. Today happens to be the National Hot Dog Day. Um, so we're recording this on National Hot Dog Day, and I think um, that's, that's really important news. <laughs> awesome. Uh, okay. Um, okay, so Ben, what are your picks for today, if you haven't? Oh, boy. I, I think my, my top pick would be the thing I'm most excited about, which is the experimental branch in RxJS. Um, and again, there's a design document out there. People can comment on it. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that. Uh, it's it's going to be a, a big chunk of work for me going forward. But I, I'm really excited about what it means for uh, everybody's app sizes uh, and that sort of thing, especially alongside Angular Ivy. Um, I'm, I'm pretty pumped. So yeah, if you go to the RxJS... Uh, the RxJS repository and uh, switch the branch over to, to experimental. Uh, you'll see links to the design document and all that other stuff. And I recommend going and look through it. Awesome. Tracy. Oh. Yeah. So my pick is going to be Rx workshop because we, um, we were working on it. Well, Ben and I always try to record it during our public Rx workshops, um, the online version, but we kept failing <laughs> at getting a good recording. So RX Workshop, uh, Jay Phelps just recorded it and RxJS 6, it's updated to the latest RxJS 6. So if you check out rxworkshop.com, you'll be able to get the latest and greatest how to 
uh, for RX workshop. And it goes through the fundamentals. Basically, it teaches you how to multiplex over a WebSocket um, and do a lot of other really, really cool things. So check it out. Nice. And Jay, what are your picks? Uh, my primary pick is going to be uh, brow.sh. So that's B-R-O-W dot S-H. And that's a website. That's a, that is a domain. And it's a service. It's, a, it's an app. Well, it's a service and an app that are two separate things. But it's a, it basically takes Firefox, renders web pages, and uh, it generates... How, how do I explain this? You can, it's a browser that's completely text-based. But it defers to, to Firefox for actually generating and, and um, uh, I wanted to say the word render, but I'm trying to not use the word render because technically that's not what it's doing. It renders text. So like images are, are in text, everything's in text, but it uses Firefox under the hood so that it is fully compatible, runs JavaScript, even WebGL. Um, it's kind of just, it's a very impressive thing. Just take a look at it, go to brow.sh or in your uh, console, you can actually SSH into their server. So in your terminal, you can just say SSH space uh, B-R-O-W.sh. And uh, once you accept the RSA certificate, um, you'll be able to actually see, you'll be able to actually browse the web remotely um, completely in your terminal. It's wild. Wow. I didn't know you can SSH from your console. Yes. Nice. <laughs> nice. Okay, so um, I have one. My first pick is a blog post I written about uh, what we've talked about today, uh, which was a follow-up post uh, after our uh, switch map talk at NGConf, which called "A Super Ninja Trick to Learn ArcGIS's Switch Map, Merge Map, Concat Map, and Exhaust Map Forever," which I think is the mm. longest ever like longest blog post name ever uh, <laughs> but yeah i'm going over all the f four operators and breaking it down into i hope simple step a step to help remember what they do and when should you use them uh so that's one pick uh second pick is a site called testangular.com which is um, a domain I bought to publish a, a free workshop under there to anyone who wants to learn uh, about testing and Angular. Um, so check it out. And currently, it's uh, I, I didn't like uh, I just put a placeholder there, but I'm gonna upload some cool stuff. And um, VS Code, their latest version, allows you to split your screen into multiple areas and combine that with the terminal split, uh, I now can actually see everything in one screen, like all the like server running, um, tests run, running, all that stuff in one uh, screen. So check out the latest version of VS Code. They're doing a really, really good job. Uh, and with that, I want, I want to thank uh, all of you uh, ben, Tracy, and uh, Jay for joining us today. Uh, it was super, super interesting and we got to talk a, a lot about the future, which is cool. Uh, so thanks so much and uh, hope we will get to talk with you soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Peace out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. 
Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.